Hello and welcome to the Remaining Sane Finding Peace in Our Chaos podcast, a podcast about both theology and police work. I'm your host, Will. In today's episode, I interview Dr. G. Dr. G, how are you? I'm doing good. How are you doing? Good. For those of us that don't know Dr. G, uh, you have a pretty long and complicated name for us uh, English speakers to uh, put out. So you're actually Dr. Galarin. Uh, would you mind talking just a little bit about you know who you are, where you're from, what you currently do now? Sure. Yeah. So I've uh, my full name is Ildefonso Hollandoni Galarin II because I'm half Filipino, so I got I got that name from my dad. But I was born in the 70s, and so I, uh, uh, you know, a show called Happy Days was really popular. And uh, my mom asked her class, what should I call him? And they're like, duh, Fonzie. So uh, so I, I often go by Fonzie Galarin, and then uh, an academic setting, a lot of people just call me Dr. G uh, for short. So um, that's, that's everything or everything <laughs> for, for today about my name. Um, I am uh, from originally from Kentucky, uh, from Western Kentucky, went to Western Kentucky University for college, met my wife there, uh, went to grad school at Florida State University um, uh, for a master's and PhD in experimental condensed matter physics, which is really just kind of like material science. Worked at a, uh, I was a professor at a college in Indiana for four years uh, after that, and then uh, for the last uh, about 15 and a quarter years, um, I've been uh, at Union University in Jackson, Tennessee, um, and that's where I met um, our, our host here. And one and of the things that you do at Union is you are part of a class that is known as creation, where you talk about how science and faith interact with one another and that is that correct yeah that's part of what it does uh it does a lot, uh, a lot more than that but that's a that's a major piece of what of what we try to do in there and one of the things that i had brought up and one of the previous episodes is the double slit experiment and i uh, pretty poorly tried to explain what the double slit experiment was and then it's theological implications. And so I wanted to have someone on that is maybe a little bit more acquainted with the science in and of itself uh, more than I am to really explain some of the nitty gritty behind the double slit experiment. And then, but who also has a Christian theological background to talk about its theological implications and what, what we can glean from that. And so, uh, Dr. Galarin, why don't you take it away? Would you mind explaining to us what the double slit experiment was, when it happened, and of some of the stuff that we've learned from it? Okay, so uh, there was, uh, if you go back at least as far as, let's say, Democritus in ancient Greece, I think came up with that, the concept of the atom, uh, like the smallest, you know, building block of what we might now call the physical universe. 
Um, <clears throat> so um, things were made to, or, or imagined to be made up of particles uh, even way back then. I know there were a lot of, you know, hypothetical um, schemes, I guess, by the ancient Greeks, uh, you know, that they dreamed up, but uh, but at least we can trace, you know, the concept of the atom, at least back that, as, as far as that. Um, and fast, fast forward, um, and let's say we're considering uh, the notion of, of light in particular. So uh, that physical thing or substance that, you know, comes into your eye and you're able to see things, right? So we're, we're thinking about light in particular. And um, fast, fast forward all the way to the 19th century, mid 19th century with James Clerk Maxwell. And he has, uh, he unifies all magnetic and electric, electrical phenomena under uh, the so-called four Maxwell's equations. And uh, using Maxwell's equations, you can mathematically model light and it's clearly a wave, okay? And so you've, you've got this sort of competing notion then for light as uh, say a particle, uh, like imagine photographic film that's, you know, very, very lightly exposed or something. You might see little, little spots on it, right? Instead of a whole picture, like looks grainy. So you can imagine, you know, the light being particles, okay? But um, from from maybe you know low exposure photographic film, uh, or even if you just sort of close your eyes and you can see little spots, little sparkly spots, you know, uh, or you might have some little particles of light hitting uh, your retina or something like that. Um, but then in the 19th century, as I said, uh, in terms of the mathematical model, uh, the mathematical model you can uh, the way to define that is like the way that we imagine what's physically happening through the math, like the mathematical objects we use to, to model the phenomena. That's what I mean by a mathematical model. It's how we're imagining the thing that we're investigating. And so you have these equations that are equations for waves, and, uh, and that's, that's what is given to you by Maxwell's equations, uh, uh, specifically to model light. Now, it's easy to imagine a particle because you've you know you've made like a snowball or you know you can break off a little piece of something and toss it or flick it or whatever so we don't have a lot of trouble understanding or, or sort of everyday like non-physicsy people don't have a have any trouble imagining particles but waves on the other hand have a very specific meaning or definition that's a little bit different for physicists than maybe the lay person and uh, uh you know, that extends as far as, you know, if you know anything about trigonometry and sines, sines and cosines, sines and cosine functions, trigonometric functions, like that's the mathematical object. But if I could draw it, it would be like, um, you know, a wiggly, a wiggly thing going across, you know, uh, going across the screen, you know, like a wave, like ocean waves or something like that. That's what we mean by waves. And, uh, and so if Maxwell's equations uh, essentially said that light is a wave, um, the cheapest, the very cheapest experiment that you can do to prove to yourself that light is indeed a wave is uh, you can take uh, two adjacent fingers, say your middle finger and forefinger on one hand, and uh, put them together, but leave a little bitty slit between them, and then take and look through that little bitty slit at a light source. 
okay, like a, a bright light or even a lit up wall. And then with your other hand, push push your two fingers together until that slit is almost gone. And if you do that, you will see that there are little dark lines running in the slit parallel to the edges of your fingers. And you know, hopefully those aren't you know hairs or or anything weird like that. That'd be really strange. But rather those are where the light is interfering with itself. Uh, and in fact, the dark lines are where the light is destructively interfering with itself. It's canceling itself out. Okay, just like if you've been to the ocean um, or a big lake, and you have waves coming in from different directions. Sometimes when those waves come together, they, they make bigger waves. And that's called constructive interference of waves. And then sometimes they cancel each other out. And that's called destructive interference. Uh, and so the dark lines between your fingers and the slit, the, that's, that's where the light is canceling itself out. And particles don't cancel themselves out. You know, only waves cancel themselves out. Okay, so uh, so that little two-finger experiment, you know, that you can do for free uh, is a clear demonstration that light is a wave. Um, and so then if you fast forward just a little bit more um, uh, from mid-19th century to 1905, Einstein publishes uh, some major papers in that year. Uh, one of which is uh, on the so-called photoelectric effect, and uh, never mind what that's all about. But essentially, he explains a, uh, an unexplained problem in physics by saying that the the light is actually a, behaving as a particle, and 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 that uh, the word for that is a photon, um, a light particle we call it a photon, um, and so uh, with um, with that paper and, and the work of uh, some other early 20th century physicists, the pendulum swung backwards from, from light being a wave, but also strangely being a particle. But yet, you know, both sides were well-founded on experimental evidence. Uh, and so we, so, you know, after the tw early 20th century, um, scientists were uh, forced into the, the strange conclusion that light is both a wave and a particle <laughs> somehow at the same time. And it's not, it turns out, only light. It is uh, in the 1920s, uh, Louis de Broglie would uh, put forth the hypothesis that it's not just light, but it's all mass energy. So even things like protons and electrons and even entire atoms have this strange wave particle existence. And so that's that's true, right? Like not only do light does light itself have that kind of like duality, but also all you're you're saying that like everything essentially has that but to certain differing degrees, correct? Well, it's, it's not even to differing degrees. It's the same degree. And it's, and when we say all things, um, so we need to be careful there. But, uh, so we can say all physical things, or actually we might not even go that as far as that. We might say all mass energy uh, because I can't, I can't uh, uh, confidently say 
if, if I include other things like space um, and time, I don't, uh, I don't know that we have a, a wave particle theory of space and time, but I can at least say all mass energy. So, which includes a lot of the physical, <laughs> just not maybe all the physical. And we certainly don't want to include the spiritual, right? When we say all things. So I want to restrict, you know, I want to, I want to, when we say all things, I'll, I'll restrict, you know, to just physical things. And even inside the physical things, I would restrict it to all mass energy. Okay. Um, so that includes though, the mass energy you're made of. So your, your protons and electrons and atoms and molecules and all those things that physically make you up um, and me and everybody else and, and the walls and the, and the buildings and the air that, yes, they all to the same degree as we understand it um, from 20th century physics, they all have this crazy wave particle dual nature. That's pretty mind boggling when you look at it, right? Like you, you, I don't think most people can look at themselves and say, Hey, I'm a wave. That is pretty. Unless they're break dancing, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Are you saying um, also that at certain times light is a particle in this moment and it's a wave in this moment, or is, are they both, is light both a particle and a wave fully at the same time? So we need to we need to get into a little bit of a, a epistemology or how do we know? Because uh, it's essentially, I think, maybe what you're asking is how do we know it's a it's a wave, uh, at, at, you know, in one instance, and how do we know it's a particle in another instance? All science is empirical, so that just simply means. To, to gain scientific knowledge, we have to measure things and we know through the measuring of things. And so um, um, essentially the, the upshot is if we, we set up an experiment to know a certain thing or things and we can set up one experiment and that the results of that experiment will show light or mass energy to be a wave and then we can set up another experiment, a different experiment, and and if and if we set that experiment up, then we can, it, it'll show itself to be a particle. Um, and so it's it, it kind of depends upon the experiment that you set up, but um, the upshot is it, it appears. I mean, to 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 the best of our ability, uh, uh, it appears to be somehow at its root. Uh, both of these things and it expresses it, you know, it expresses its particle like nature in some experiments and it expresses its wave like nature in other experiments. But because these two natures are, are obviously contradictory um, because a particle is, uh, you know, zero, zero dimensional, it has no length, width or height, you know, it's all, and, and uh, it's all, you know, it's this little bitty thing that's um, infinitesimally small. Um, it's you know concentrated at one point in space, uh, as opposed to a, a wave, you know, like a uh, a sine wave or a cosine wave, uh, something like that. It's it's spread out, you know, even infinitely in in either direction. Uh, so it doesn't have a well-defined position, you could say. So like these two natures appear to to contradict each other. Like how can how can this this one thing be have both of these natures? That's really weird. Um, so that's, um, but again, that relies on sort of a, a physicist notion of what a wave is a very mathematically, you know, well-defined notion of what a wave is. Yeah. yeah. And so I assume that inherently makes it very extremely hard to deduce down, um, 
light itself, right? Like, you know, it's got these two competing natures to it. And you can't say that it is 100% one way or 100% the other way, but rather it's both ways. Well, it's, it's just like if I, I think the, I think like the light detectors in the, the retina of the human eye, I think are sensitive enough. At least I've, I've read that they're sensitive enough to even detect a single photon. Um, mm. So like if you, if you close your eyes, you know, you're still getting a little bit of light, maybe through your parts of your eyelid. I don't know. Uh, I'm not exactly sure what those signals are, but um but like you've probably imagined like opening your eyes in a really, really dark room and you still you still see little spots. I remember a high school friend, you know, saying when it when I you know saying when he closed his eyes, he could still see little little dots all over the place, right? Um so those little dots, if that's a single photon, you know, if you close your eyes and you see those little dots, then you know, perhaps you know you're you're running an experiment and of what light is and 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 boom, there it is. It's showing itself to be a particle, you know, a little dot or something like that uh, and then the the two finger slit experiment that i described earlier um you know there you're doing an experiment and light shows itself to be a wave um and so you can you can have these two kinds of experiments and you know and you know, with a much bigger budget and you know with a lot more precision um and these two natures show up you know one or the other in various experiments that are you know really just kind of more complicated versions of maybe what i've described and in your class, you talk about the theological implications of this also. And on a personal note, uh, one of the things that I mentioned in one of the previous podcasts is that this really ha had a, a somewhat profound effect on me learning that you know, even in the natural world, there are truths that almost express themselves that Christians, you know, have known for 2000 years. And then namely this, what screams out to me is the deity of Christ, because, you know, Christians have always taught that God is fully man and he is fully God or rather Jesus is fully man and fully God. Um, and you know, what this shows is that light has that same, um, two natures about it right like and, and you can't you can't just say one and forget the other now I, th I think that that's just really profound because um and I also think that it's profound that we as humans inherently have a hard time understanding two things having or one thing having two natures at the same time um that that's kind of something that like you can say but it's really, really hard to wrap around your brain. Do you have any more thoughts about that? Yeah. Um, so uh, possibly the most influential passage of scripture on my physics and science teaching, you know, the last decade and a half um, <clears throat> has been, uh, it's Romans 120, uh, Romans chapter one, verse 20. And uh, I'll read the uh, NASB uh, 1995 version um, of it here. It says, quote, for since the creation of the world, his, that is God's, invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse, end quote. 
So what Romans 1.20 says is essentially saying is that God has written, written bits of himself into what he has created. That is, it says, uh, you know, we might catch a glimpse of his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature. We might catch a, catch a glimpse of those in uh, looking at what he has made. Um, and because uh, it says that they've been clearly seen being understood through what has been made is what the verse says. And so uh, uh, when I when I came to Union University, this was one of the formative passages um, because I asked the question, well, if that's true, physics, uh, you know, is is one of the, the, the scientific disciplines that studies, you know, what we, uh, what Christians call the creation. And and so maybe by, you know, studying physics, we might catch a glimpse of God's eternal power and divine nature. And um, and so, you know, with that uh, with that verse, uh, you know, sort of um, giving us that that particular disposition, um, then I, I started looking for are there physics specific ways in which in which this happens? Because there are other scientific disciplines, obviously, like the life sciences, biology, um, and chemistry, you know, physics, geology. I mean, there are other scientific disciplines, but is there uh, are there you know glimpses of God you know via Romans one twenty that that maybe is are specific to physics? And uh, when I uh, taught on uh, in, in various courses uh, this twentieth century you know, physics uh, topic of wave particle duality, you know what when you teach on that students tend to have um, it's like there's a tension right there's a tension in trying to imagine a proton or electron. It's, it's easy to imagine them as, a, as particles, you know, like the atom is, is the planetary model of the atom, like the electron is going around the proton in hydrogen, let's say that has one electron and one proton in it. Uh, they're going around each other, kind of like the, the, the earth goes around the sun, you know, like a, a planetary model. But even then you're imagining them as particles, right? You're not imagining them as waves. And so it becomes, you know, much more difficult to imagine electrons and protons and even atoms uh, as waves and particles at the same time. It's like these are two contradictory natures. Um, and so I would teach, uh, the, you know, I would teach this topic. The tension would build. You know, you're you're spending like you know weeks of class time, you know, uh, teaching on on these uh, ideas. Um, and the various mathematical models they involve, and and though and then you know in a in a non-Christian setting, you know you kind of just have to leave the students there with that tension, and you know and they're and they're just like how can it be like this? And you have even you know Richard Feynman, you know one of the greatest greatest uh, physicists of the 20th century, you know, um, you know saying how can it be like this, right? And that's where they're they're left. Um, but in, you know, in the, in, uh, where I, where I teach at the university I teach at, uh, I'm able to go further and it's only after that tension has sort of set in, you know, for uh, even a few weeks that I, I, I end with a certain theological point, you know, where I, um, where I involve Romans 120. Okay. Um, you know, saying, Hey, maybe we'll catch a glimpse, you know, uh, of God, you know, by studying even the physics of the really small. And, and then I also um, 
say, well, okay, you know, what is a part of um, God's eternal power and more specifically divine nature, right? We know that, as you said, Jesus is fully man and fully God, but man is sinful and, uh, you know, has to die finite, I guess, in a, at least in a certain sense, uh, physically has to die, um, you know, whereas God is, uh, is holy and pure and without sin and not, not you know, uh, dependent on time uh, as, as man is. And there are so many other differences. Uh, and so how is it that Jesus could be both fully man and fully God, right? It's, uh, there's a tension there, right? The, uh, and there's such a great tension there that the uh, uh, the early church in the in the Roman Empire uh, even had a council, uh, the Chalcedonian uh, uh, council, in which they tried to work out how is it <laughs> how is it that Jesus was fully man and fully God, um, and you know they uh, I don't know the history of of that exactly. Um, I do know enough to know that, you know, they, they found it leads to heresy if you go too far in either direction. Um, and so they were, they were stuck with the strange conclusion that, uh, that he is, you know, fully God and fully man at the same time, if you will. Um, and they wrote the Chalcedonian Confession. And I have this Chalcedonian Confession here, um, which I can pull up. Um, <clears throat> Um, or actually it's uh, the Christological definition from the Council of, of Chalcedon. And this is 451 AD. And part of it reads, I'll go ahead and read it, um, this part. Uh, One in the same Christ, Son, Lord, only begotten, recognized in two natures without confusion, without change, without division, without separation. The distinction of natures being in no way annulled by the union, but rather the characteristics of each nature being preserved and coming together to form one person and subsistence, not as parted or separated into two persons, but one in the same Son and only begotten God, the Word, Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, end, end quote. So they're trying to you know, write down precisely what it is they believe, <laughs> But there's still plenty of mystery, right? They still say, you know, the, that that Jesus is, you know, one and the same, recognized in two natures, without confusion, without change, without division, without separation, right? I, I lead students, you know, this far that, that far into the semester, and and then I go ahead and make the connection. And here's here's a very strange way to make it, but it'll get my point across. And this is going to sound really heretical at first, maybe, but I'll it'll it'll get my point across. I'm going to replace references to Jesus with wave particle. <laughs> and I want you to hear how strangely modern it sounds. Okay, so I'm going to read the same stretch of the Christological definition from 451 AD, but I'm going to insert wave particle as in like, you know, the wave particle duality of all mass energy. So one in the same wave particle recognized in two natures, without confusion, without change, without division, without separation, 
The distinction of nature's being in no way annulled by the union, but rather the characteristics of each nature being preserved and coming together to form one wave particle, not as parted or separated into a wave and a particle, but one in the same wave particle. <laughs> so that sounds really heretical, but I can very easily insert wave particle in here for, Jesus, for where Jesus is referenced. And it sounds like it came out of 20th century physics. Mm -hmm. Right. So that yeah. and, so and, the, yeah. and it's neat that, you know, you can look back 1600 years and they're coming across the same. It, it almost, you know, the same new modern definition, like, you, you, as you said, if you were to change the uh, the noun there, but by no means do they have any technological capabilities at all of doing the light, they're doing the, the wave particle light experiment. But they're able to come to the same conclusion about something you know, about you know about Christ and how what's neat here is as you study the world around you, you know there are as you said there there are ways in which God reveals Himself and that you know by studying the world in some ways you can study God and then also going the other way <laughs> there as you study theology and you study god it does help you understand the world around you because it's not like um you know god has just removed himself from the world like there these these two things do interact there is a god <laughs> right <laughs> yeah and so, yeah and so to connect you know connect the dots completely you know what i'm what i'm asserting here is that the wave particle duality of all mass energy as we understand it you know, in the 21st century is a a direct manifestation of romans 120 that's what i'm suggesting here in which the divine nature or, or uh, is is expressed in what god has made in this case the physical creation and in particular it's this, this strange mystery of how can these two natures how, how be present in and, and, and Jesus Christ uh, and that particular, you know, uh, mystery is, is manifest in all mass energy and the wave particle duality of all mass energy, which also has seemingly two natures that seem contradictory, but are, as our experiments tell us, uh, are present simultaneously without annulling each other <laughs> in all mass energy. Right. Um, and so that so that's this is one of multiple. Uh, uh, I believe direct manifestations of Romans 120 in physics, um, and I also tell my students, you know, the uh, the the non-Christian, right, when they study uh, modern physics and wave-particle duality, they have to just stop where Feynman stopped and just and just wonder at like, wow, how can this be? <laughs> the experiments tell us it's like this, but how can it possibly be like this, right? That's where you know the uh, a non-Christian education um, has to stop. But in a you know uh, in a Christian uh, setting, we can actually go further. You know it, that is we can say, well, it's actually like this because Romans one twenty tells us that God has written bits of Himself in what, into what He has made, so that we can catch glimpses of Him um, by studying you know what He's made. Um, and so the so usually the you know pop culture, I guess paints the 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 christian uh as as the idiot right um in the corner 
uh, but and and it's the you know secular person that can go further. Uh, but it turns out here it's the Christian <laughs> that can go further uh, in their understanding, and 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 well outpace obviously the uh, the the secular person or the or the atheist, right? And along those lines, this is kind of a you know a secondary question, but how has being a Christian, while also simultaneously you know being a scientist or a physicist, I assume you've you've had to reconcile with that a lot like you, you know you've had to especially in today's modern culture where you know you get told a lot you know oh you can't do your job seriously and also be a christian you know how, how have you dealt with you know healing hearing that kind of criticism and then also you know reflecting upon that well i will say that it uh that particular uh, aspect of of a career in science, uh, it, it, it depends on what area of science you're in, in terms of the level of hostility that you get. So for example, in, in what I've discovered in, in life science and in, uh, in biology, you know, there are biologists out there that, uh, simply say that you can't be a, a biologist and be a Christian. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's extreme, uh, extremely hostile, I guess, uh, uh, to to you know uh, a, a, for a religious person being for, first and foremost religious and then you know and then a biologist and if you if you want to look up you know more on this uh, you can look up um, Todd Wood for example uh, who's a very interesting young Earth creationist who is also an extremely well trained uh, biologist and uh, and there have been you know online posts by other biologists saying he's not really a biologist because of his young earth young earth position you know, that's just just to say that it depends on which area of science you're in and for me in particular i don't i understand why why todd wood holds to a young earth position um, i don't think genesis requires a young earth position so i would i would be an old earther but nevertheless you know um he you know he's an example of of a scientist who is literally rejected by some of his peers uh, and his work rejected um, just because of his religious views. <laughs> but in, in, in physics, um, it's it's not nearly as it's not as hostile, uh, I guess I could say, as I've as I've come to find that it is in life science. That is, um, I can you know, no one's gonna. I, I was never said you can't get your PhD because you're a Christian or something like that, right? So, uh, and I don't. I've never heard any testimonies to that effect. Um, but, uh, but nevertheless, right. If, if you follow Jesus, then, uh, your identity first and foremost is in him. And, um, and so you're, you're going to want, you're not going to want to be, you know, two separate persons. That is, you're not going to want to divide your, uh, professional life from your religious life. Uh, but rather like the, you know, you want to be a whole person and then you're going to look for how do you, how do these th two things come together? Right. I'm not, I don't want to compartmentalize these things and so uh but but in many in many colleges and universities you're not really given the freedom to explore that uh or if you're going to explore it you need to do it certainly on your own time yeah, with your own money <laughs> don't, and don't tell anybody <laughs> or, or you'll get fired um and so i'm blessed to be at a, a university where not only am I have the freedom to do that, but I, I even have the freedom to do, to do that and share with students, uh, you know, what I what the things I discover. Um, and so, um, uh, yeah, I've 
uh, I've not found, you know, some, you know, some great impasse, you know, between physics and Christianity that I've, that I've not, you know, found peace with or anything like that. Right. Um, it hasn't destroyed my faith or anything, anything to that effect. In fact, it's just the opposite. It's, uh, as I learn more, I, it builds my faith up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank God. That's a, yeah. that's a very good thing. Um, well, my final question for you as we're getting to the top of the hour here is, uh, do you have any final counsel or advice that you would like to give to the audience? I know we haven't touched much on police work really at all, <laughs> um, but, you know, that's it's really taking this much time to to really explain and flesh out the, the experiment and, you know, the, the greater Christological implications here. But would you mind just giving, you know, a brief advice counsel you know something you would like to leave the audience with uh well i don't i know very little about police work um uh so uh and i'm super happy that uh god has called his uh children into you know every nook and cranny of modern society uh and you know and in, in the case of your host you know calling him into um uh, a, a career of police work uh, that is awesome um right um uh, you can be a light uh, you know wherever he calls you um i would i would say you know look for just just generally speaking i've been able to find in physics I, i've been able to find that physics is a stepping stone to worship um that is i can take like this notion of wave particle duality and lift it up as an offering to the Lord, you know, and, and as a fragrant, fragrant aroma, uh, right. This understanding. Um, and it, and in that way it can be a stepping stone to worship. And it would be really cool to, to know how this can happen in every profession and every discipline and, and, and so on. Like what, how does the particular practitioner, that follows Jesus Christ, how do they offer up their work and their labor uh, and everything that comes with it? Um, how do they offer that up as a stepping stone to worship? Uh, but the belief that there is a way and ways to do that, and it's just a matter of uh, revelation of, of, of God revealing them to you, um, you know, that's that, that belief you know, must be there <laughs> yeah. or you won't, or you won't be looking for it. <laughs> right. So, um, so that, so make sure that belief is in place and then share with others, you know, what you found, uh, you know, how, how your, your work and your labors, um, are, are indeed stepping stone to worship. Well, Dr. Galarin, thank you so much for, uh, coming on the podcast. Remember, if you have any questions, feel free to Google, fill out the Google form that's attached in the description below. And if you want to reach out to the podcast, um, you can find us on Twitter at Remaining Sane PC. Have a blessed rest of your day.